0: Well, in Leviticus chapter 17 and in verse 11, we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Well, Major League Baseball season begins next week. Opening day is Monday. The Braves are coming home from spring training. And I want to tell you, I'm excited about this season. I think we're going to do pretty well. But I also know, and I'll be honest right now, I'm not going to go to too many games regardless of how well they do. Because it's just too expensive. Good seats behind the first base dugout at the TED. Do you know they'll run you $65 a piece? Add $20 for parking. And of course, you're going to need a hot dog and some popcorn. And you got to wash it down, so you're going to need a Coke. And then there's that shared program. Hey, add it all up, and this game is going to cost a family of four about $350. That's pretty spendy, even for a devoted fan like me. In fact, if you listen closely to what some of the Braves fans sing during the seventh inning stretch. You know when they sing during the seventh inning stretch? If you'll listen closely, here's what some of them are singing. Take me out to the ball game. Take me to Turner Field. Buy me a Coke and a dog on a bun. Pockets are empty before the first run. But we'll chop, chop, chop for the Bravos. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three months to save till the next ball game. Hey, for me, a professional baseball game is much too expensive. I'm just going to stay home. I'll watch it on television. When you think of the word spendy, a lot of different items come to mind. A prom dress. That's pretty spendy. Bought a few. Didn't wear them, but I bought a few. A luxury automobile. Pretty spendy. Diamond earrings. Haven't bought as many of those as I have prom dresses, but. Maybe after I get done with the palm dresses, maybe I can take care of some of them diamond earrings, cat. Steak and lobster, that's pretty expensive. Tasty, but expensive. Sadly, a gallon of gasoline, that's expensive. Even a gourmet coffee at five bucks. That's what I call it, five bucks, because everything there is five dollars. It's really Starbucks. But there's another commodity that's very expensive. Forgiveness is expensive. Once there was a doctor's wife that was vacationing with friends in Europe when she saw this gorgeous tapestry. It was just the perfect fit for her home. There was just one problem. It's price tag. It was $25,000. She sent a quick text message to her husband to see if she could make the purchase. He quickly texted her back, no price too high. But you see, the doctor made an error. He left off the comma after the word no, and so the text read, no price too high. It was her go ahead. She bought the tapestry for 25 grand. And as far as her husband was concerned, it was an extremely expensive mistake. Yet there is one item we would all do well to obtain at all costs. Indeed, no price too high. Forgiveness is expensive, but nothing on earth is as important. Now you may disagree with this, that forgiveness is a costly item. You may argue that salvation and forgiveness are free. It costs absolutely nothing to be a Christian. And I agree, salvation is free. But free doesn't mean cheap. God's mercies come to us free of charge. But these are gifts from God that come at a very steep price. In Exodus chapter 34 verse 20, the Lord said to his people Israel, And none shall appear before me empty-handed. In other words, no one should ever just sashay up to God with nothing to offer him. Sin incurs a debt. If you sin, you owe God. And if you're a human being, I know that you've sinned. If you won't admit it, I'll ask your mother. She'll squeal on you. Better than that, I'll ask your high school teachers. They'll tell us. If you're married, I'll just ask your spouse. And if I still need a confession, I'll ask your teenagers. They know you've blown it. They'll they'll squeal on you. Case closed. Yet we have all blown it at times. We've all violated God's boundaries. We've all strived to live up to standards that we couldn't achieve and pulled up short. Our most godly aspirations have been sabotaged by our own weaknesses. We've ended up doing less than God's best. And now we can't just prance into his presence as if nothing's wrong. We've sinned. I'll never forget the day my wife approached one of our sons. And she asked him why he had decided to carve up the antique mahogany bedroom set that I had received in an inheritance with his little pocket knife. Just carved it up. Of course, he said, he didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. He offered an absolute denial. Now, now let's think this through for a minute. Who in the family would carve the letters (laughs) N-I-C-K into the mahogany bedroom set? Not Z-A-C-H or M-A-C-K or N-A-T-A-L-I-E or even D-A-D. N-I-C-K was guilty of a major infraction. But he was waltzing around the house as if nothing had happened. Until his CSI mom pointed out the evidence. Hey, God knows that we've sinned. And we do too, don't we? And God is angry at our pride and our selfishness. We can't play dumb. Hey, when we come to him, it's up to us to bring something to the table that will repair the damage that we've caused. And make amends for our sin. As the Lord said to Israel, none shall appear before me empty-handed. You know, whenever I play Monopoly, I always like to accumulate a few of those get-out-of-jail-free cards. They're nice to have around when you get thrown in the slammer. All you have to do is just pull out one of those cards, wait your turn, and then you're covered. I like knowing that I'm covered. And so did Adam and Eve. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they realized that they needed to be covered, that they were now naked and lacking and insufficient and inadequate. Their reaction to sin was to cover up. When God came looking for them, remember, they didn't just walk up to Him as if nothing was wrong. They'd sewed together fig leaves to try to cover their nakedness. It was an attempt to make amends for their awful mistake which brings up an interesting observation. Do you realize that man is the only creature that has to go outside of himself to get covered? Birds manufacture beautiful feathers. Animals grow their own fur. Lizards and reptiles, they develop scales. But humans have to go to the mall and pay outrageous retail sums for coverings in order to cover himself Man had to find something of value external to his own person that he could bring to God so that the Almighty would accept as a sacrifice. And according to our text, that something is very, very expensive. I I like to know that I'm covered. It's very important to me to know that one day I'm going to stand before my Creator and I'm going to give an account of my life And on that day, I'll have a get-out-of-hell-free card. I'm glad to know I have one. If you don't have one of those cards tonight, I'm going to tell you how to get one. But first, I want everyone to understand how extremely expensive these cards really are. And if you have one, I hope you'll leave tonight with a new appreciation of how costly this gift is. Truly is Well, in tonight's passage, Leviticus 17, God explains why the cost of forgiveness is so steep. Verse 11 tells us, It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now, here's a 3,000-year-old verse that gets illuminated by modern medical discovery. Verse 14 of the same chapter also says of the blood... It is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. And if a modern doctor were writing this verse, he couldn't have said it any better. It's the blood that brings oxygen and proteins and nutrients to the various organs and tissues of the body. It's the blood that sustains life and causes growth and promotes health. Five liters of blood circulate in the average human. And just as an automobile would lock up and shut down without oil, likewise your body would die without its blood. In fact, you can go to the doctor and you can have your blood work done. And guess what? The tests will reveal everything that's going on in your body. The blood test is a tell-all. Health and nourishment flow through the blood. Literally, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Over the centuries, humans have derived different definitions for death. For a while, it was the loss of a pulse. But then CPR can shock you back even after you've lost your pulse. For another period of time, it was when a person stops breathing. But today, they have respirators that can continue to sustain the breathing. Uh, A definition is the cessation of brain waves. I've had no brainwaves now for a long time. I'm still alive, and so that's not an absolute definition. But the biblical definition for death is stated in John James chapter 2, verse 26. There we're told, For as the body without the spirit is dead. In other words, the New Testament defines death as the absence of life. It's the body without the spirit. And since Leviticus insists that the life is in the blood, then a biblical definition of death is the spilling of blood. This is why the sacrificial animals killed on the altar, they weren't smothered. Their necks weren't broken, like the old country you know, method of slinging the chicken until you snapped its neck. No, their throats were slit, and blood was drained from their body. In the sacrifices, the death occurred when the blood was shed. You see, from the beginning, God had said the wages of sin is death. And this is what drives up the high cost of forgiveness. God told Adam and Eve that if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would surely die. That's why to make amends for sin, a death has to occur. As one author put it, sin leads to death. It will not be denied. In the end, sin requires either your own death or the blood of an innocent proxy. And fig leaves won't suffice. When Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaves, God said, no, you've got it wrong. And he slaughtered an animal instead. God clothed the guilty couple in leather. It was the skin of the sacrifice that covered their sin. The debt of sin had to be paid. A life had to be taken. Blood had to be shed. You might say sin had to be pelted with a sacrifice. Here in Leviticus, we read again, it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The word atonement here is the Hebrew word kaphar, which means to cover. The blood is God's get-out-of-hell-free card. It covers our sin. It's the blood that makes up for the mistakes that we've made. Hebrews 9 verse 22 puts it, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Spilt blood is the high cost of forgiveness. This is the point of the book of Leviticus. This is what Leviticus hammers home over and over and over. The price tag for forgiveness is written in blood red. Forgiveness is expensive. In the first seven chapters of Leviticus, you can read them when you get home. God gives to the Hebrew people five different types of sacrifice. And in all but one, a similar procedure gets followed. Listen to the burnt offering, how, how it was to be offered. Leviticus 1, verses 10 through 12. We're told, if his offering is of the flocks of the sheep or of the goats, as a burnt offering, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priests shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar." Now imagine being told by God to pick out an animal from your small herd. This is obviously a financial cost to you, but it will cost you far more before you're done. You choose this little lamb from your flock. It's your favorite. You were there when it was born. In fact, you probably gave this little lamb a few nicknames. You watched it learn how to stand up and then Stumble around and then eventually frolic in the grass. This lamb has been like a pet to you. But lately, you've done some goofy stuff. You've really sinned. You've really blown it, man. And the priest says that God isn't happy with you. And that if you want to avoid God's judgment, you need to offer a sacrifice. And not just any little lamb will do. It has to be the best of your flock. The pick of the litter. And so you put a leash on your little rover and you walk him down to the tabernacle and you lay your hand on his head before the priest and you confess your sins, every one of them, you confess to God. The priest then hands you a razor, a razor sharp knife, a butcher knife. You know what you've got to do. You gulp hard. And then in one bold stroke, you slit the throat of that little bitty lamb. And all the while you're slaughtering the household pet. You're struggling with your emotions. For up until now, intellectually, you've known the wages of sin is death. But is this fair? This little lamb is totally innocent. Why should he suffer in this manner? Boy, if I would realized that this is what happened when I sinned, I would have thought twice before I'd gone there. Now you're watching your pet squirm in pain. It slumps over in a motionless heap. You hear it scream and then whimper and then gasp its last breath. Then, then you smell the stench of the blood As the priest drains it into a saucer. And then you're told to take that butcher knife and to chop up the carcass into various pieces. And then give them to the priest so that he can burn them on the altar. Your little lamb is now lamb chops. And you're the one now that's whimpering and squirming. For you realize that your innocent little lamb received what you deserved. He paid the consequences for your sin. Hey, no one who regularly went to the tabernacle ever just shrugged off sin as if it were no big deal. Oh, who cares? I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, no. Every trip to the tabernacle was a reminder that sin does hurt. To cover sin, blood has to be spilled. Suddenly, what you knew in your head for years now hits you in the gut. Your experience helps you appreciate the gift of forgiveness in a deeper, more emotional level. You walk away thinking, wow, my sin sent that innocent little lamb to the slaughter? Sin must be serious. Forgiveness must be expensive. I I must be blessed. When we come to worship God today, we walk into a clean, sanitized sanctuary. The floor is clean. It's nice. There's carpet on the floor. There's sights. and The sights and sounds and smells around us are all pleasant. Dead carcasses aren't all over the place. Blood and guts aren't splattered on the walls. But when you came into the Old Testament tabernacle to worship, it was like walking into the meat market at Kroger. Or better yet, a slaughterhouse for beef cattle. Blood splatters were everywhere. It looked like a crime scene. Death was all around. Rather than cool music when you walked into the room, you, you heard the screams of animals in the final throes of death. Worship went from G-rated to an R-rating for violence. Walk into the Old Testament tabernacle and it looked like the site of a drive-by shooting. It was a bloody mess. As author Kent Hughes puts it, the Old Testament sacrificial system was a gory affair indeed. During the thousand plus years of the Old Covenant, there were more than a million animal sacrifices. So considering that each bull's sacrifice spilt a gallon or two of blood and each goat a quart, The old covenant truly rested on a sea of blood. For 1,500 years, God drilled His people on the severity of their sin and of the necessity of a sacrifice and of the costliness of forgiveness. You see, no graduate of the sacrificial system would ever have taken lightly the bloody, messy, painful consequences of sin. Don't tell me forgiveness is not expensive. It's extremely expensive. According to the Old Testament, each year the tabernacle ceremonies required 1,300 animals just to keep up with the sacrifices required on the holy days. That didn't include the many individual sacrifices offered throughout the year. If you don't think forgiveness is expensive, just ask Rosebud or Betsy. Or Mary's little lamb. Whenever God forgave a person, you knew that a death had to incur. A bloody, gruesome, violent death. An innocent life had to be extinguished. That's costly. People tell me all the time. Well, Pastor Sandy, I live a pretty good life. You know, I don't beat my wife. I'm nice to my kids most of the time. I don't cheat anybody. I've never pulled the trigger on a gun. I go to church when I don't have anything else to do. Man, hell is for bad people. I'm all right. I'll make it. I'm doing my best. There's only one hole in your argument, my friend. And that is that the wages of sin is not giving your best. That's not what God requires. God didn't say, if you sinned, then the remainder of the time, all you have to do is to try hard and go to church and stay out of trouble and be a decent person. God never said that. When Adam and Eve sinned, God told Eve, you shall surely die. Sin has to be covered by death and death alone. Forgiveness is far more costly than just a few good works here or there. God says, if you sin, somebody has to die. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Imagine a Hebrew in the Old Testament times walking up to the door of the tabernacle empty-handed. All he or she has is a bunch of lame excuses and hollow promises. God, I, I, I don't know what got into me. It was an accident. God, I'll do better next time. God, when I get a new job, I'll straighten my life out. God, I'm normally a pretty good person. Sure, I sinned, God, but, you know, I'm working on my problems now. Hey, you come to the tabernacle door talking like that, and you're going to get laughed off the stoop. The priest will have but one question for you. Where's the beef? At the tabernacle door, empty hands look pretty foolish. There it's obvious that you what you need if you want a right relationship with God. Forgiveness is expensive. And if you wanted to be assured that your sin was to be forgiven, you had to come with a sacrifice. And the same is true today. Forgiveness is free, but it is far from cheap. For the high cost of forgiveness is still the spilt blood of a sinless sacrifice. You know, it's interesting that 1,500 years of blood sacrifice came to an abrupt halt. Soon after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the Old Testament sacrificial system was shut down. The Romans sacked Jerusalem and they dismantled the temple and its altar. No longer did the Jews have a place that they could go to offer their sacrifices to God. Over the years, Jewish people have come up with alternatives to sacrifice. Jews today believe that they'll obtain God's forgiveness because of their good works or their charitable deeds or their kosher diet or fasting and prayers or their rituals and their holy days. But the Bible, even their own scriptures, call for the death of a sacrifice. Without a blood covering, Judaism is a hollow and impotent religion. And that's why God shut down the practice of animal sacrifice. For 1,500 years of conditioning was enough to show us our need. At God's appointed time, He sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice. God put the crimes of the whole world on Jesus' sinless shoulders. And He offered Jesus on a cross to bleed to death for you and for me. Though the Jews and their priests didn't know it at the time, The sacrifices they offered repeatedly year after year in their tabernacle were all symbolic of Jesus. He was a male without blemish, or in other words, without sin. The sacrifice was slaughtered on the north side of the altar and the mount called Calvary was situated in Jerusalem just north of the site of the temple. The sacrifice was laid on the wood, in Jesus' case, a wooden cross. And what every Israeli did to their little lamb at the tabernacle door, the Roman soldiers, by order of Pilate and by insistence of the Jews, did to Jesus. Nails slit his hands and feet. A crown of thorns punctured his brow. A lance slashed a gaping hole in his side. The executioners turned his back into a mass of blood and shredded tissues. His beard was plucked and his face beaten beyond recognition. Jesus looked like the mangled victim in a car wreck his body severed with metal and peppered with shattered glass in short the sacrifice was slaughtered the sinless innocent blood of Jesus was splattered all over Pilate's courtyard drop by drop his blood puddled up on the palace floor That sinless blood trickled through Jerusalem's streets and gutters as he carried his cross to the place of execution. And there on top of Mount Calvary, blood mixed with dirt. And what blood was left stained the cross to which his body was nailed. In a word, the crucifixion of Jesus was a gruesome sight. Literally, the Lamb of God became lamb chops. If you'd been there at the foot of the cross, you would never again mistake free for cheap. Never again. You'd observe what God did to his only son to earn forgiveness for you and me and you would whisper four words over and over again, no price too high. No price too high. You'd realize that once and for all, you'd realize that forgiveness is very, very expensive. You'd walk away thinking, wow, he took what I deserved. He died in my place. You'd never again walk around smugly suggesting that it didn't matter that you'd sin, that sin was no big deal, that you're not hurting anybody. Hey, it just killed Jesus. And I'll tell you what else. You wouldn't just stand there and let his sacrifice go to waste. You'd stop clinging to your good deeds. And you'd drop your excuses. And you'd realize how worthless your ambitions and promises really are. And you would cling to the Savior on the cross with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And you would stand up for him. Until then, to the day you died... You would value the sacrifice of Jesus above your most cherished possessions. You would pin all your hopes for both now and for the future on His love and His mercy. Remember, no one just sashays up to God empty-handed. We've all sinned. And we are depending on something to cover our sin. What's your get-out-of-hell-free card? If it's good deeds... Or if it's a bunch of hollow excuses, or even if it's noble ambitions, forget it. For that is not what God requires. If that's what you present to God, you'll get laughed off the stoop. It costs more to be saved. Where's the sacrifice? Where is the blood? For it is the blood that cleanses sin. Here's the invitation this evening. Come to Jesus. Come now. Come quickly. What Jesus did on the cross was such a spendy sacrifice. It was costly and valued. It was a precious deed. Nothing else needs to be added to what Jesus did for you and I to be forgiven. Salvation is expensive, but Jesus paid the price in full. And here's the free part. Since you can add nothing to your salvation nor can you do anything to improve on His forgiveness. God offers it to you free of charge. Your only requirement is to lay hold of the risen Lord Jesus, to agree with Him that you've sinned, to believe that His sacrifice was for you, and then to trust Him with your whole life. Here's how you can obtain your very own get-out-of-hell-free card tonight. Romans 10 verse 13 tells us simply, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you haven't already tonight, why don't you make that call? Would we all bow our heads and close our eyes? Before we wrap up our service and and say our final prayer, I want to ask you, if you need Jesus tonight, if you've never trusted Jesus for forgiveness, if you've never laid hold to the spotless lamb as your atonement, as your covering, and tonight you feel exposed, you know there's areas of your life where you have sinned, and you're vulnerable, you're exposed, you know that that things aren't right, that you haven't done right, and you haven't made amends, and things aren't right between you and God, and you're exposed in those areas, and you need forgiveness. Tonight, my friend, there's forgiveness for you. There's full and free forgiveness, but it's expensive, and you have to appreciate the price that was paid. You have to go to the one who paid that price. You have to ask Jesus to forgive you and save you. Make you whole. Is there someone here tonight who would say, Pastor Sandy, I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. I want to trust Him for forgiveness. Is there anyone that would say that tonight? If you'll just raise your hand, uh, I'm going to say a prayer for you. Anybody here that would say, I've never done that and I want to do that tonight. If you'd just slip up your hand where I can see you. Anybody. You want your sins to be covered. You want to get, a, a get out of hell free card tonight. Anybody. Well, that's good. God, it's good. It means we're all Christians. We all know you. Lord, there's only one other prayer I have tonight, and that's that we would be grateful Christians. We're not perfect Christians, we'll never be. Not sinless Christians. But we can be grateful, Christians. We can live like it. We can live with a heart of gratitude toward you. Oh, Lord, help us. In light of all you've done for us, help us to say thanks. Work in our hearts, Lord, both tonight and in the days ahead. Tomorrow as we prepare our hearts and then Sunday as we come to once again worship our risen Lord Jesus. He's our Savior and He's our Lord. We worship Him as both. Lord, help us to embrace our Savior tonight with a heart of love and gratitude. Help us to recommit ourselves to follow our Lord, the risen Lord, this Easter weekend. We love You, Lord. We thank you for loving us. And we want to praise you one more time before we leave. Amen.